0: Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you, and there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through Life Groups and Pocket Churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message.
1: When we left off last time, Paul was in prison on the charge of temple robbery. It was a capital crime and it was punishable by death. But Paul, he didn't fold, he forged forward. Not only leading several of his guards and high-ranking government officials to Jesus, but he also took it as an opportunity to write a letter to his friends in the church that he started in the city of Philippi. It's a letter we now know as the biblical book of Philippians. And he did that because as my pastor used to say, Paul, he was shackled to great expectations. He lived his life looking past his oppression toward God's opportunity. You're not gonna wanna miss what happens next in a message we're calling The Division. So in the spring of 54 AD, Paul finally had the opportunity to stand trial before the proconsul Marcus Solanus. And the actual court case, it proved to be very anticlimactic. Evidence collected in the province offered zero proof that Paul had misappropriated any money dedicated to the Temple of Jerusalem. If the Jews preferred Paul's fund to the temple tax, that was a personal decision but it was in no way theft. So Solanus, he refused to convict, and Paul, he was immediately released, which would prove bittersweet. His acquittal, it marked him as a man protected by Solanus, which which would be beneficial in the short term, but detrimental in the future. But even if Paul knew the challenge his association would present, It wasn't as pressing as the challenge swirling in Paul's mind. He had a more immediate problem. Word had reached Paul that all was not well across the Aegean in Corinth. The Christians there, they had become entangled in the snares of the unbridled love that dominated the city. His concern ran so deep that he rushed over for a brief, unproductive visit that left a painful impression both on him, and on them. Recognizing the depth of the issues and their hesitancy to change, coupled with his calling to forge forward in God's plan to reach deeper into Asia, he took Sosthenes, the former ruler of the synagogue, as his assistant on a very difficult missionary journey. When he left, he marked in his mind his intentions of sending his spiritual son, Timothy, back to sort things out in Corinth as soon as he could. But before Paul and Sosthenes even had an opportunity to head up country, the city of Ephesus, it was rocked. It was stunned by the sudden assassination of proconsul Solanus. A few weeks prior to that, Claudius Caesar, he was murdered. He was poisoned by his cousin and fourth wife, Agrippina. They were both great-grandchildren of Augustus. And as a wedding gift, Claudius had adopted Nero, Agrippina's son, by a previous marriage, and he made him his heir. Seeing this as an opportunity to lead through her son, she sprung into action. She got rid of her husband, and she immediately proclaimed Nero as emperor. And incidentally, this is the same emperor who would later have Paul executed, beheaded, in the streets of Rome following the great fires of 64 AD. And I assume he probably never forgot Paul's connection to his rival, Salanus. Anyway, Agrippina, she feared Salanus. He was also her cousin and, and he had as good a title in blood and probably a better claim to the throne than Nero. She was fearful that, that he would plot and try to avenge Claudius and seize the empire by murdering both her and her son Nero. So to avoid this, she got ahead of the situation. She ordered the knight Publius Sellar and the former slave now freedman for hire Helius to eliminate her problem. And the Roman historian Tacitus, he he records what they did. He said they administered poison to the proconsul at a banquet in a manner too open to escape detection. Their bravado, it struck fear across the city and they took control over the province and they proceeded to eliminate all their enemies, anyone who held allegiance to Solanus. And that included any man, however unpolitical, who was viewed as being protected by Salanus. No one having this connection, including Paul, would be able to consider their lives to be secure. Therefore, Paul's upcountry missionary journey was shadowed by menace. When he and Sosthenes traveled from city to city, they suffered more than the hardships, the heat, and the fatigue of the road. They weren't only in danger from unforgiving, unrelenting Jews or worshipers of Artemis bent on revenge for the conversion to Christ by their family and friends. They also had to contend with the contempt or the ill will of these insignificant, small, petty officials who are anxious to shed the image of their former loyalty to Salanus and who are looking for a place in the goodwill of Nero. It's actually of this struggle that Paul would write. To this very moment, we go hungry and we go thirsty. We're clothed in rags. We're beaten. We wander from place to place. We wear ourselves out with hard work. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. Come on somebody, doesn't that sound like some of us today? When we are insulted, we answer back with kind words. For we are no more than this world's garbage. We are the scum of the earth to this very moment. They were looked at like traitors, like dogs. Many of the people they encountered wanted to rid the world of them. But even in that, Paul refused to quit. The hardships he endured just fueled his sense of responsibility for pioneering this new way of living in submission and surrender to the words of Jesus. Plus, he had churches that had already formed whose survival at times seemed to be hanging by a thread. And this stress, it consumed Paul. It was a stress to which he wrote, on top of everything else, there is the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So he pressed on in his calling. He viewed his possibilities as unlimited, and in his persistence, doors opened. He decided to return to Ephesus and devote the next number of weeks to the composition of a letter to deal thoroughly with the situation and to bring the Corinthians to a better state of mind before he ever visited them again. But when Paul arrived in Ephesus, several Corinthians were waiting for him. They told him that things were even worse in Corinth than he had thought. How could that be possible, Paul thought. They told them how Christians were suing other Christians in pagan courts and, and that the church was being torn apart by their conflicts. Some of them, they boasted that they were Paul's people. Some of them boasted that their loyalty was with Apollos. Some were Peter's men, whether that was by some unrecorded visit or that they just heard of his words. Some of them were even so brazen to claim that they didn't owe anything to any apostle. They belonged to Jesus. And With their arguing came arrogance. Each group thought that they were superior in the eyes of God and in the eyes of men. And that situation, it broke Paul. It brought him to tears. He openly wept over the condition of the church There couldn't be a greater contrast between the joyful letter to the Philippians and the pain Paul faced in writing to the Corinthians. In fact, he would write, with great troubled and distressed heart and with many tears, not to make you sad, but to make you realize how much I love you all. But his love was not enough to sustain them in his absence. Corinth was impaired by human weakness and confused by false teachings. Even though Jesus had warned it would happen because he wanted the love of free people, not puppets on a string, Paul took it personally when his converts preferred dissension to unity, self-advancement to service, and half-love to full devotion despite Jesus' willingness to give them every quality and all the strength they needed to walk totally and humbly with God. And Paul, he knew they wouldn't be perfect because he knew he wasn't perfect reflected in the words that he would write to the Philippians saying, I am not already perfect, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the call, the call to heaven from God in Christ Jesus. But he consistently saw in the Corinthian church that they either couldn't or they simply wouldn't forget the things that laid behind. And in doing that, The church was distracted by things that weren't primary, and that distraction, it created division, much like we're experiencing today, mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine. Open the building or not open the building. And the enemy is limiting our effectiveness with the spirit of fatigue. We are exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And that spirit of fatigue has slithered in on the back of a satanic spirit of shame, where each side is attacking the other, where each side is shaming the other for simple things like shaking hands or standing too close. For wanting to send their kids back to school or not wanting to send their kids back to school. And it has suppressed us to the point that many of us have become afraid of one another. And so now Rather than taking the opportunity to pattern after Paul's model of growing God's kingdom house to house and person to person, some of you have shrunk back. You've distanced yourselves. Some of you have been shamed into isolation and that shame is breaking humanity down. And it's a strategic attack by our adversary to keep us divided because he knows where there is division, there is no progression. Where there is division, victory cannot take place because every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. That no city or no house that is divided against itself will be able to stand. And when I read that, I wonder, where are you divided? Better yet, where are you operating in shame, either giving it or receiving it? Wherever that is, you shouldn't be because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, what if like Paul, in this struggle, in your struggle, you pressed on in your calling, you viewed your possibilities as unlimited, and in your persistence, doors opened for you with your friends and with your family so that you could become the bridge in this division. Will you do that? I wonder if you're watching this today, and first and foremost, the division that you have is between you and God. That's what we call being in a state that lacks salvation. In the church world, we know that we have the answer. We know that it's so simple. We know that if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, admit that you're a sinner and ask him to change you, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. You will enter into this beautiful Relationship where everything you've ever done wrong before this point is not only forgiven, but is forgotten. It is deleted from the memory bank of heaven and you have an opportunity to move forward in a new life. So if that's you, if there's division between you and God, if there's distance between you and God and you wanna close that distance today, we're gonna to give you the opportunity to do that. And here's how. I'm gonna say a few words in a prayer. And then I'm gonna pause. And if you repeat those words and you mean them in your heart, you will enter into a relationship with Jesus. You will be saved. And so if you wanna do that, would you just say this after me? Would you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you come into my life? Will you change me? Will you make me different? Will you make me new? Will you be my Lord? be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, congratulations. It's the greatest decision that you'll ever make in your life. We want to be a part of your journey away from who you are toward who Jesus wants you to be. So would you do us a favor and would you just reach out and let us know this decision that you've made? We're sure excited about it, but we're not done. I wonder if you're here and you're watching this and you're a Jesus guy or you're a Jesus girl, but you would say, Sean, I am walking in, I am living in, I am steeped in shame, whether you're giving it out or whether you're taking it in. Can I pray for you and break that spirit over your life? Jesus, for my friends who are watching this, friends who are hungry for change, some who have been giving away shame and some who have been taking it in, God, whichever side of the pendulum they've been on, God, I pray peace over their life. God, I bind the spirit of shame off of their lives in Jesus' name. God, let them walk in freedom. Thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to LifeChurchGreenBay.com to download today.